So let's jump into this message today from cheers to tears, a true Palm Sunday message. One time back in the early 1800s, Napoleon and his army were moving through Switzerland. Everywhere they went, Napoleon was greeted with thunderous applause. Long live the king. Viva la France. Hail to Emperor Napoleon. But Napoleon himself didn't seem too excited about what was going on. And so one of his supporters said, isn't it great to hear the roar of the crowd, the support of all of these people? And Napoleon replied, yes, but the same people who are cheering for me today would cheer just as loudly at my execution. (laughs) And he knew something. People are fickle. One day you're a hero and the next day you're what? Zero, right? It's amazing how fast the roar of the crowd can turn against you. So let's see what happens in this final week of Jesus here on the earth as he is entering into the holy city. Last week, we stopped uh, as he was going through Jericho. We saw Zach up a tree. Jesus changes him because he came for little people and lonely people, and he came to save lost people. We see this transformation in this chief tax collector, and now he's coming on out of Jericho and heading literally up to the holy city of Jerusalem, up to Mount Zion. And that's where this takes place. It is Palm Sunday, called Palm Sunday because in three of the four Gospels, in fact, everything except what we're going to read, they were waving palm branches, a sign of uh, uh, this is a dignitary, this is someone worthy of our, in this case, worship. It's not always exactly akin to worship, but basically it's hail to the coming one, hail to the conquering one. And so they would say uh, things like this, Hosanna. You've heard it in all the songs today, Hosanna. It's Aramaic. It means uh, pray. uh, It it means save, I pray. So I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you to bring deliverance, to bring salvation. Now, we know what they were saying in this context, as we'll unpack it. But five days later, the same people who are praising the Lord Jesus would be shouting, crucify him, right? Hail him would turn to nail him in very short order. And I've always wondered about that, right? How is it that the very same people, because everybody would leave Jesus, Nobody would hang around. Once Judas planted that kiss of a traitor, nobody would stay with Jesus. All the way up to Peter, the spokesman, who promised, who swore, I'd die before I'd deny you. You're right, Peter. You won't just deny me once. It'll be three times. By the time the rooster crows three times, you and everybody else will run from me. How is that possible? Could it be that a lot of the people cheering for Jesus on Palm Sunday were simply caught up in the excitement of the event? Could it be that they had a misunderstanding, a skewed perspective of who the Messiah really was? They were ready for him to conquer Rome, but they certainly were not ready for him to die. And in the church, I think we have some of that. I think we're going to see it some next week. It's carnival Christians say, oh, pastor, you meant to say carnal Christians. No, we probably have some of those too. Carnival Christians, they love the celebration, the over-the-top, the big, woohoo! But when it comes to standing for Jesus out there, count me out. No, 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 no. I'll go with the crowd here while we celebrate, but to live for Jesus in every way out there, no, not so much. And so watch 
the transformation. Watch the movement in the text from cheers to tears. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. And more importantly than us standing for the word here is to stand for the living word out there because they are watching. The Bible says, when Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the mount called Olivet. So we were there in the fall, the Mount of Olives, just across from the eastern side of the city. And he sent on two of his disciples, and he said, go into the village opposite you. Where you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one's ever sat. Loose it, bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Those who were sent their way found it, just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner said, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, Well, the Lord has need of it. And they brought him to Jesus and threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, so he's coming up over the peak and down, and then you go down into the valley and back up to Jerusalem. And so as he's doing that, he's descending the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, this is a lot of people now, they begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen. And the other gospels will say, Hosanna, Hosanna. But here we find, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So the conquering king is entering the city. Boy, the Romans have got it coming to them now. And some of the Pharisees called to him, and they called from the crowd saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Too loud, Jesus. We don't worship that way around here. Can't you see how dignified we are? Can't you see we do things decently and quiet? And Jesus said, Well, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I've always loved that line. And he drew near and he saw the city. Now that idea of seeing there is deep. He saw the city and look, he wept over it. And this is what our Lord said. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Forty years, give or take. That's exactly what's going to happen. And they will level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. It's like he's just talking to the temple personified. Why are they going to do this, Jesus? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Heavenly Father, this is a powerful scene. Jesus gives very clear instructions, and through obedience, his followers find exactly what he told them they would find. Such is true for us when we listen, obey, and do what he's asked us to do quickly. Lord, we see the party happening, the cheers going forth, the Pharisees doing what they normally do, grumbling onto the side, but yet Jesus stopping and looking and weeping, weeping with a bitter spirit because he knows what's coming to the holy city and the chosen people. I pray today that when Jesus looks upon us, O oh Lord, he's not weeping in sadness, but rejoicing over life change, transformation, even what we saw between services. As I met the young man who is now getting his baptism right and, and wanting to really follow through to do what Jesus has called him to do and others making decisions this weekend. 
Thank you, Lord, for life change. Continue to do what only you can in these minutes we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So um, let's break this up. I don't normally do it quite like this, but I figured we're going to keep it really, really simple in next week's message. I've got one question I'm going to give you next week for Easter. One very penetrating question from the Bible around the Easter story. So if you know somebody that needs Christ... Next week is the perfect time. They're more open to come to church on Easter than any other time. We see bigger crowds than any other time. Although we've been growing like crazy and we've seen a lot more people on campus in recent days, we expect that you will bring somebody that needs the Lord or somebody that needs to come back. But I want you to see this this way. Let's start with the cheers of the people. The cheers of the people. Remember, the Jews find themselves under heavy Roman oppression. Remember we talked about Zacchaeus last week. There were heavy taxes and restrictions and many executions by means of crucifixion. Jesus would not be the only one crucified. Many thousands of Jews would have been crucified in this day. He was beaten differently and, and in, in a more grotesque way, but many lost their lives the Roman way. And Jews were in search of someone. They desired a king, a conqueror, someone to free them from oppression. They had seen the mighty works of this man, Jesus. They were witness to him restoring sight to the blind. They saw evidence of him healing the lame. They saw him feed the multitude with a little boy's lunch. You remember the fish sandwiches and thousands ate. They had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And they, they heard him teaching with authority, unlike the religious leaders of their day. Surely with undeniable evidence and power like that, Jesus was without doubt the conquering king of Israel. He would be the one to free them from all oppression. And so he comes toward Jerusalem and the crowds begin to cheer because let's be honest, everybody loves a good party. Now I know you look at the face of some Baptist and you think they don't party, they suck lemons all day. But I think a lot of us like a good party. If you're the lemon sucker, just Tell your face you love Jesus. You can smile at me. It's okay. And so here's the thing. You know how this works. I know how this works. A mob mentality. We see it on the highways, right? There's a fender bender over there. And what do we have to do? We have to look. We have to see what's going on. Have you ever gone somewhere and maybe there's a little crowd gathered and they're looking up at something and they're going, look, look at that. What is your inclination? What do you want to do? Some of you right now so bad, you want to look at that spot in the ceiling. You can't hardly stand. That is fascinating right there. No, we have this thing where we're drawn. I did it as a child. I've always loved boxing. My dad got me into boxing when I was little. We'd go to these amateur boxing uh, matches. I can't stop looking at that. That is interesting. So my dad would take me to these amateur boxing matches, and I was so little then, I didn't really know who, I mean, I didn't know these fighters. They're amateurs. We didn't know their names. But the crowd would always seem to get behind a few guys as they worked up through the ranks to go to the, what they would typically call the title bout or the final bout. And so the crowd would get behind somebody, and I'm just a little squirt of a guy, me, my cousin, uncle, father, we were all there cheering, and, and they'd, you know, they'd get behind this old boy, and they'd just be, whoa, yeah, and so what do you think I did? Woo, yeah, that's our guy. I didn't know that guy. Or they'd get some guy would kind of play the bad part and they'd get a boo, boo, boo. And, and uh, sorry, Mr. Mayor, if you're listening, I didn't ever follow wrestling, but I know this happens there too. But they get, all, they get off all down on this guy and so I'm booing him too because we tend to share as human beings a mob mentality. And I think that's at least in part what we're seeing here. I mean, it's time for a celebration, 
the Passover festival. It's a symbolic event where the death angel passed over Egypt and Pharaoh let God's people go. And the Jews are, are praising and singing and dancing and eating. And they all swell into the holy city. I mean, well over 100,000 people come to town. It's about as big as the Bassmaster Classic Knoxville hosted last week. But they're partying, they're celebrating. And, and now Jesus comes on the scene. Many people have been hearing about this guy. Hey, hey. This is the one. This is the real deal. And when a conquering king entered a city at a time of warfare, he'd ride on a horse or something more impressive. History tells us Julius Caesar returned to Rome in 45 BC on a golden chariot harnessed to some 40 elephants. But when a king would come to a city riding on a donkey or the like, it would typically be taken as a sign of peace. But the people didn't understand the time of their visitation. And Jesus rides in saying, look, I'm not here this time to overthrow the Romans. I'm here as the sacrificial lamb, but they didn't get it. They're laying their garments down, a sign of adoration and honor, and they're saying, we don't even want your animal's feet to get muddy as you approach the city. They are, in the other gospel accounts, waving palm branches. That's why it's Palm Sunday. And they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you know that God told us it would be this way 500 years before Palm Sunday? 500 years earlier in Zechariah 9.9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Jewish people. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus would not be the first to claim messiahship. Jesus would not be the first to say that he was going to bring deliverance, but he would do it in a radically different way. Four generations earlier, Judas Maccabees, called the Hammer, rallied an army of Jewish men to fight against the Syrians who at that time occupied Jerusalem. It's 163 B.C., He enters Jerusalem riding a massive stallion. History tells us the people shouted Hosanna and waved palm branches. And the Maccabees cleared out the temple and they burned incense and they offered sacrifices and they lit a huge menorah. Even though they would be put under siege, they didn't have enough oil to make the menorah last that long. But you know, if you know anything about Hanukkah or the Festival of Lights, that it lasted eight days. So to this day, the Jews will celebrate that. But sadly, we know that not long afterwards, Judas Maccabees was killed in battle and he was buried. And that's the end of the one they called the hammer. And so the Jews knew this could not be our Messiah. And 200 years or so later, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the Jews are occupied not by the Syrians, but by the Romans. And they're hoping Jesus is the military Messiah. Overthrow these people that are oppressing us and killing us and not letting us have anything in this world. Overthrow them. But Jesus rides on a donkey. In fact, the Bible says he does it exactly like Zechariah would say, a colt, the foal of a donkey, and this animal that's never been ridden. And he would not be like the hammer. He would not come in swinging the sword. In fact, he would say, put your swords away. He would come this time as a sacrifice, a lamb dying for his people, not killing for his people. And this is the way I've written this. A revolutionary is willing to kill others for the cause, but a redeemer is willing to die for others. 
And Jesus, of course, is not just a redeemer. He is the redeemer. And he didn't fight against the Romans 2,000 years ago. But I have been there multiple times. I have seen the valley of Armageddon. And at the end of it all, Jesus will come back. And he will not be a sacrificial lamb in the second advent or coming. He will be the conquering king, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And all of the enemies of God will be defeated in the final battle. He didn't do it the first time, but the Bible is clear he will do it the last time. And so what do we take away from this truth? Well, think about the lesson of the donkey. And I have a whole other sermon on this. I'll preach maybe one day here down the road. But think about what we learn from this little donkey. If you feel insignificant and all tied up, God can loose you and God can use you. The donkey is a, a perfect picture of how God can take one who seems so insignificant and put him in the middle of the greatest parade in all of history. The second application I want you to see is don't just praise Christ because of what you think he can or will do for you. Christ deserves our praise for who he is. You see, there are times where Jesus won't meet your expectation. You have this thought about what he will do for you or give you, and yet he does not do that. And rather than saying, well, I'm done with him, away with him, put him off, embrace him. Press into him and say, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, and I choose to trust you even when I don't understand you. And don't let anyone discourage you from praising the Lord. Don't let anyone shut you down. If they shut us down, the very rocks that God spoke into being will cry out in praise. And I don't know about y'all, but I am never going to let a stinking rock beat me to praising my creator. I want to praise, and I want to praise in a way that people know. I love him here, and I love him out there. It's the same. We see the cheers of the people. Look with me quickly at the jeers of the Pharisees. To jeer means a heckle, a taunt, a mock, to laugh. In 39, some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They wouldn't dare call him Christ. They didn't believe he was the Christ, the Messiah. But they said, make those folks around you be quiet. Can't you see we are a dignified lot in Jerusalem? Can't you see our fancy flowing robes? Can't you understand that in our synagogues and especially in our temple on the mount, we are a calm and reverent and most of the time quiet people. They had lost all of the joy and shouting that the psalmists teach us about through the 150 psalms. The religionist hated Christ. He flew in the face of all they stood for, their, their legalism, their hypocrisy. They took offense at his popularity. They took offense at his teaching. He was literally and figuratively turning over their tables and they couldn't stomach him said that an old white-haired mother went to visit her governor many years ago. Governor Nash, I've come to, come to speak with you on behalf of my poor boy who is soon to die in the electric chair. And governor, I've come to ask not for justice, but for mercy. And governor, not just for my boy's sake, but for me as well. You see, he's my only son and my only support, sir. And if you can do anything, I need your help. The governor was very courteous, and he promised if time allowed, he'd look into the boy's case, and he may even visit with him. The governor was good to his word, and soon he went down to the prison where the poor boy was awaiting his day of execution. 
But when the young prisoner saw the governor coming down the corridor, he thought it was a minister coming to speak with him about Jesus again, and he became very angry and insulting. Hey, buddy, I ain't got no time for you and what you got to say. Why don't you just leave me alone? But son, I've come to see you about an important matter. You might be interested. The young man pretty much started cursing at the governor and demanding that he walk away. Very well, son. The governor left. When Governor Nash was gone, the warden said to the young man, well, how did you and our governor get along? The angry inmate learned that it was not a minister, but the governor that came to his cell. And he fell on the concrete floor. Like a lost and condemned soul, he began crying out, oh God, I've insulted the one and only man that could save my life. That's exactly what he had done. And that's exactly what folks do who reject Jesus. He's the one and only hope. We all need a stay of execution. All of us are headed for an end called death, separation from God, hell, torment. Apart from Jesus Christ who paid the price on our behalf, who took our sin debt and paid it in full, apart from receiving him, he may not come down the hall of your life looking like you expect. He may not come with all of your preconceived ideas, but I promise you if you are open, he will come. He will not force himself in. He will stand at the door and he will knock. And if you will open the door of your heart and your life and receive him in, he will come in and build a relationship with you and he will begin to transform you from the inside out. But a person will not receive God's spiritual blessings if he does not want them. I want you to hear that point today. It's in your notes. We will not receive God's spiritual blessing if we don't want it. You can take a hermetically sealed bottle. You can put it in the sea. It can float for more than a century surrounded by shoreless ocean and it will be as dry and empty on the inside at the end of it all as when you put it in the water. And you and I can move and float and have our being in the great ocean of God's love in Christ, but you can by hardness cork up your heart and seal it over with wax and make an impenetrable cover. And even though he wants to walk with you in faith, God will not usurp your freedom and he will not penetrate if you don't want him there. And you can go home just as dry and sealed up is when you came. And those that should have known best, the most religious group of the day had their hearts shut up for their one and only salvation and the cheers of the crowd included the jeers of the religious folks and later in the week, those same boys would say, hey, I've got an idea, let's get rid of him. Even the high priest didn't understand. Wouldn't it be better for one man to die for the nation and just stop all this craziness? He had no idea what he said was prophetic. But the Pharisees would change the way the people would talk. And instead of cheering him, they would cry, crucify him. I know you probably wouldn't mock Christ intentionally. Or especially here in God's house, you wouldn't make fun of the Lord. But do we sometimes mock him out there? When we hear something that is counter to all that we know about our great God, when people use his name in vain and make hideous jokes about our faith and our Lord, do we stay silent? 
Do we go along with the crowd? May it never be said of the family of faith at Grace that we would be quiet, but may we cry out, no, I will not be beat by a rock. I will praise my God. I will extol my Hosanna. I will praise my Lord in here and out there and everywhere. I will praise my God. You can tell me to be quiet, and you can tell me to stop speaking the truth of God, but I will not do it. We see the cheers of the people and the jeers of the Pharisees. I want us to end with the tears of the Prince of Peace. Let's see the tears of our Lord. He's coming as a Prince of Peace. That's not what they wanted, but it sure is what they needed. And as Jesus' parade approached the city amid shouts of praise and hosannas, our Lord has a broken heart. I mean, think about this. He is weeping at his own party. It's only two times in the Gospels that Jesus wept. You know the other one is at the tomb of Lazarus. Not because he's sad his buddy's gone. He knows that Lazarus will live. In a matter of moments, he'll live, in fact. But he's weeping over the people and what they can't see. And the Greek word used here for weeping in 41 is kleo. Kleo means a loud weeping or wailing, a sign of deep grief and our Greek word that's translated wept signifies far more than tears. It suggests a kind of soul racking gut wrenching teeth gritting absolute sob that we do at the tomb of a loved one, a best friend a family member. I've had just a couple of true true Cleo moments in my life. I've seen others that have had Cleo moments. I've, I've been I've been with others. Ministry is always that. Ministry is always highs and lows. It's, it's always celebrating new birth and baptism and weddings and new life. And it's hurt and heartache and funerals and death. And you can't do this without being called to it because you see a lot of this clay O. And there's such a depth of his grief. Don't miss it. He's wailing over this city. It's the same word used of Mary sobbing at the tomb of Lazarus and Mary Magdalene sobbing at Jesus' tomb and Peter bitterly weeping when he has denied his Lord three times and the rooster crows and Christ catches his eye and Peter is a broken and undone man. It is that word that we find in our text. But why does he cry like that? Many reasons, but I'll give you two. He wept because of superficial belief and spiritual blindness. Superficial belief and spiritual blindness. If you had known, you especially in this year day, my people, my people. He came into his own as his own received him not. That's what the Bible tells us. If my people had just known, I'm coming for your peace. But look, it is hidden, hidden from your eyes. The cheering crowd was caught up with excitement, but they were not truly recognizing him as the Messiah that the scriptures would speak of. They had a superficial belief. They wanted a liberator to make their lives easier. But Jesus invaded their religious comfort zones and upset them and turned them over. In fact, we would see that in the very next passage from what we read. He would turn over their tables. And it would break his heart to see the shallow level of commitment in some Christian lives today. 
Some folks go to, go to church on Sunday and sing crown him with many crowns and then crucify him with their filthy language and habits on Monday. Some folks sing I exalt thee on Sunday and by Monday their song is I forgot thee. And Jesus wept not only because of superficial belief but spiritual blindness. He said this stuff is hidden from you guys. You don't recognize me. You only see me as a physical deliverer, but I am your spiritual savior. If you had known, but you don't know, and 40 years from now, what's going to happen? The Roman general Titus is going to come in, and folks, he's going to wipe them off the map. He's going to destroy, desecrate, and destroy the temple. All we see there today is part of a retaining wall. That's all the Western Wall is, part of a retaining wall. Not one stone of that temple was left because Jesus said, you're going to be surrounded, you're going to be sieged, and you're going to be broken and battered and destroyed. And there was a lot to be said for not just the rock of the temple, but the rock of their lives. But it would seem to me the saddest words in the passage as Jesus weeps is that the people of Israel didn't recognize the time of God's coming. I think it's true today. Honest people look around our world. Honest people do not say, we are evolving as humankind. Honest people don't do that. Honest people look around, intelligent people look around, and they say, man, this is not the way it ought to be. It's bad. The pastor's nine-year-old daughter was one of those slain on Monday. And I have two here every day, one granddaughter here and another one on the way. And if you think somehow we're getting better when someone walks in and slaughters little children, you are not paying attention. This world is broken. This world is in desperate need of a savior, a prince of peace. And you can attempt to legislate it, but what's in the hand can never be controlled. What's in the heart needs to be transformed. And I'm telling y'all that in this world, there is a hope. There is a Savior. And we have to realize that true peace only comes from a relationship with Jesus. See, the Jews were looking for peace from the Romans. And some of y'all today are looking for peace from things. Oh, we just need peace from gun violence. You are right, but we need peace with God. Oh, I need peace from this addiction, from this pain, from this heartache. I need peace from that. You will not get peace from that until you have peace with him. You start in the vertical, and then God blesses you with the horizontal. That's how this works. You start aiming for peace with God, and then he gives you peace from the oppression. The second truth I want you to see before we close is rejection of Jesus always brings judgment. Now, folks, it didn't bring it instantly. It didn't bring it that particular day. But 40 years later, the hammer of God's judgment fell. And finally, that which breaks the heart of our Lord ought to break our hearts. The superficial belief and spiritual blindness of the world around us should make us weep. 
But Jesus didn't stay on the side of the hill weeping. He got up. He dusted himself off. And he went to do what he was born to do. We see the cheers of the people, the jeers of the Pharisees, the tears of the Prince of Peace. This is a thought-provoking little a statement here, a little paragraph attributed to Phillips Brooks, a 19th century American Episcopal minister. And I want you, as I read this, to turn your mind from Palm Sunday and let's head toward Thursday night. I want you to head with me through eyes of faith to the upper room and I want you to see our Lord giving fullest meaning to the Passover meal, the Seder there, the worship, the service as the bread and the cup get new meaning. And I want you to think about the words of Brooks. He says, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was about 30. And then about three and a half years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. I disagree with Phillips. I think he wrote a wonderful book. He never held an office, never had a wife, never had kids, never owned a house, and didn't go to college. He never visited a really big city and never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things we associate with greatness and had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 years of age when the tide of public opinion turned against him. All of his friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, which was the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he remains the central figure of the human race, the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever sailed and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of this planet so much as this one solitary life. Imagine what our Lord would experience when they sang a hymn and went out. Back, by the way, to the Mount of Olives. Same ridge line. Same basic mountain line. There's a garden there called Gethsemane. It has to do with the fact that the olives taken from those trees would be processed. And listen to me pressed, crushed on the side of that hill. And it was there that our Lord would go before his father while he told three of his closest to wait, watch, and pray. He knew who was coming. He knew who would betray him with a kiss. He knew they would all forsake him. And he chose to go back to this mountain anyway. I want you to hear the pain in that moment. Father, look upon your son. I need your strength if I'm to finish what we've begun. 
When my friends can't stay awake Though what I do is for their sake And my sweat begins to break And my mouth, it is so dry If some way this bitter cup could pass me by But I've come for such a time as this As I'm awaiting Judas' kiss My decision is this Not my will shall I pursue I will choose to follow through Or else What would they do? I know I haven't much time left Father, help me catch my breath For I know There is no other way Now all my friends have left my side The Christ they swore to love now would be denied Now every prophecy made true Though I could call on help from you Yes, I know what I must do Not my will shall I pursue I will choose to follow through Or else What would they do I know I haven't much time my breath for I know there is no other way left I'll face the pain I will taste of death A number of years ago, Pastor Jeff Davis said he sat down and in 20 minutes God gave him that song. He asked me if I would consider sharing it with you today and I told him, brother, that's a very powerful word that you have there. I'd be honored to share that with our folks because I want to remind you there's a lot of pain and there's shame 
There's blood and there's brokenness and there's the cross and the nails and the spear and the grave and there's agony upon agony, but that is not God's final answer. Yes, Friday is coming. Yes, we will experience those stations and what our Lord went through. And yes, there was horrific scenery that would unfold. But while Friday's coming, friends, Sunday is coming too. And Easter Sunday is on the horizon. And I would remind you that unlike so many false faiths around the world, we as the people of God are not worshiping some dead religious guru. We are not awaiting some savior. He has come and he will come again and we will serve a living Lord. He went from cheers to tears, but on Easter Sunday, he goes from tears back to cheers. Sunday's coming. As we stand together this morning, I want to invite you. I want to invite you back before our Lord to say thank you. Could he have walked away from the garden? Could he have spoken one word? I believe he could have fought it. And Judas and all of those betrayers would have fallen dead at his feet. Hey, Father, let's just do this again. We did a recreation once before, let's do it again. But no, 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 God had made a covenant. I will not destroy all men again. I will redeem you. I will give you another chance. And I believe some folks need to come and fall before God and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming. Thank you for following through. Thank you for saying, not my will, but yours be done. Thank you, God. And I pray that many of you would come and fall on your face before God for our brothers and sisters that are hurting. I pray you'd fall on your knees before God and cry before the Lord. Would you bring healing? Would you bring hope into this community in the central part of our state that is reeling? Would you even pray for the shooter's family? Would you pray for their hearts today? Wouldn't you want people all over our state, nation, and world praying for us if tragedy struck? Wouldn't you want gathered people of God on their face before their maker saying, God, please, please show our world how much they need saving. Bring hope back into broken hearts. I would ask you to come and pray. I would ask some of you that would feel so inclined. We've got a lot of things coming. The Good Friday experience, Saturday Easter worship, Sunday Easter worship. I would pray, God, bring a great harvest of souls. God, allow me to boldly invite such and such and go get them and bring them to the house of the Lord to hear the truth of God. I promise you, I promise you if you get them here next week, if God gives me breath, they'll hear the gospel and they'll get a chance to be saved. They'll get a chance to go from an eternity of hell to an eternity in heaven. I promise you, you get them here. We're going to give them Jesus. Would you be willing to come? Would you be willing to come before the Lord? And pour your heart out before him in prayer as his people today. Thank you so much for watching us today. 
God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.